You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Semper Reform on the Radio. My name is Tim, and I'm going to be your host today. I have with me the other Tim, the uh, better theologian Tim, Tim Kaufman with us. He is uh, he's back for another episode on Mary. And uh, just to remind everybody, we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, and we are putting out blogs. So I, I just want to keep uh, telling everybody to go to the to the web page and create yourself a profile and then you can join different podcast groups and whenever that podcast does something you'll get a notification an email notification to keep up with what they've got going on so there's a number of uh, other podcasts on there to check out and uh, we'd definitely recommend them to you so Tim real quick question before we get into the discussion for today did you uh do, do you still listen to the Bible Answer Man? Well, after last week's episode, I definitely gave him a good listen. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I did listen. Yeah, but, uh, I'm going to take your last episode and not listen to it anymore. Well, did you uh? I, I guess by any chance you, you didn't you didn't hear me on the Bible Answer Man, did you? No, I didn't. I was I tried to listen and it went on and on and on and there are a lot of different callers. What I did hear was uh, I know that James White. Picked, uh, picked apart all of Hank's answers. Yeah. And I understand that you were on that one too. And, you know, I got lost in the, uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, James White's episode on Hank Hanegraaff was even longer than Hank Hanegraaff. And so yeah. I was running out of yeah. time. It's kind of funny though, because I, I decided to call in because I, because I, I used to listen to Hank Hanegraaff back in the day. And I wanted to know if he would actually affirm the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And my wife told me that uh, she had put the baby down for a nap and she left me both boys and she said, I'm going to run to the store real fast. <laughs> and so I, I was in the living room with both boys and waiting, waiting to, to come on the air. And as soon as, uh, as soon as I went on, I got nervous because I was, I was disorganized. And I started rambling because I was thinking, I want to 
have a conversation with this guy and I know he's going to cut me off. <laughs> I know, I know he's going to, he's going to uh, just cut me off and, and give a long winded answer about nothing and, and do his talking points. And so I even asked, I said, you know, I'd like to have a discussion with you and, and I'm walking around trying to keep the boys, you know, entertained or whatever. And, and I, I didn't even have my notes in front of me. So I was kind of bouncing all over the place. And uh, it's, it's funny because I, I, I told uh, Hank Hanegraaff, I said, you know, I do a podcast and because I was going to tell him like, I'm, I'm, you know, probably going to be talking about this on our podcast. And the first thing he did was he cut me off and he said, uh, I'm not interested in your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm completely naive. In hindsight, I look back and I'm thinking, yeah, that was naive of me to think that I could actually discuss this with him on his show and um and basically what what i what i feared would happen actually happened i i I got cut off and so i just wanted to know if he would affirm the doctrine of justification by faith alone which uh which in, in my perspective he didn't and uh on monday's episode he had a caller call in who asked about roman catholicism pointing out that that we don't hold to the same essentials uh, that they don't hold to the essentials because they have a different gospel and he referred back to uh james chapter two and he defined faith as an active faith it sounded very very much in line with what roman catholics would say and and just made a mess of james chapter two and so my whole goal was just to get him to affirm the doctrine of justification by faith alone because if he can't do that then ultimately he wouldn't be a christian and he would fall under the condemnation that paul brings in galatians chapter one because excuse me because he is bringing another gospel and uh and what was funny then so then james white reviewed it and uh james white pointed out that i was nervous and bouncing all over the place and so that's that's my humble pie for the week. Uh, hopefully next time, if I get an opportunity like that in the future to do something like that, I won't. Uh, <laughs> I'll be a little bit more organized. Um, but now I have. Uh, so I, one of the guys from the other podcast was saying that I have to incorporate this into our intro because now I have Hank Canagraf saying he's not interested in our podcast, and I have uh, James White saying that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm nervous and bouncing all over the place. So, but, uh, well, you don't need to it. have any shame in that. I mean, uh, <laughs> Paul talked about stuttering and uh, Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh on his own because he wasn't very good at speaking. Frankly, I know exactly the feeling you get. You have all your thoughts in order. And then as soon as they pick up the phone, the adrenaline kicks in and then, you, you know, everything, it's like the fog of war. Everything goes to pieces immediately. So there's no shame yeah. in it. I do exactly the same thing. I think everybody does when they call into those shows. Well, I appreciate that. I I, I think it's I think it's funny. I'm I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny because it's, I'm I'm thinking he's not gonna he's not gonna be challenged in his show. You know, and uh, and he's familiar with with what I was asking, and it was it was kind of naive for me to to think that I, I could actually engage him, uh, and. and you know, it, it is what it is, but we we do want to for now until we see repentance in um, in Hank Hanegraaff, 
uh, we we do want to warn people away from him, uh, and and just uh, for, from what I've heard, he's not standing firm on the word of God, even though he claims to be the Bible answer man. Uh, but brother Tim, did you uh, did you have any other thoughts on that? No, I, I thought that his uh, his answer on prayers to the saints was weak. I thought that his 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 appeal to the early church usually lands him someplace in the fourth century and later. So he's uh, he's consistently he, he's consistent with with Roman Catholic apologists and that he decides at some point that it's like he said that um, truth matters but life matters more and what he is basically affirmed as well without actually saying it is that the scriptures matter but tradition matters more and we have this great tradition of all these different practices from the early church and we need to incorporate them into our understanding of the scriptures and yet you know, it's like we talked about last week and we talked about before is that so many of the practices that are from uh, the late fourth century and and beyond and he, his specific thing about prayer to the saints or the saints uh, asking the saints to pray for us, uh, you know, that was actually a controversy of the late fourth century. And there are some godly men that stood up and said, we don't need to be praying to the saints and they don't pray for us. And, uh, and Hank Hanegraaff has basically adopted a late fourth century view that's based on tradition, not on the scriptures. So um, I would say that he calls himself Bible answer man, but he's uh, he has succumbed to the arguments from tradition that are against the scriptures. And I think that, uh, that I think that's all we need to say about that. Uh, so I'll, yeah, you, I'll just leave it at that. You, uh, you wrapped it up nicely there. Let me, uh, let me just go ahead and remind everybody that, uh, we, we, uh, we want to recommend Tim Kaufman's blog out of his mouth. Uh, the URL is whitehorseblog.com where you can find all of his, uh, his writing on eschatology, Roman Catholicism, history. He's an excellent historian. He does, uh, he does his homework. He's also a prolific writer on, well, he's also, he's a prolific writer there. He's a prolific writer everywhere, but he's also a writer for the Trinity Foundation. And uh, Tim, I, I know that we didn't talk about this beforehand. So, uh, but I, I just want to throw this out there and, and ask you, are, is uh, the Trinity Foundation doing anything this year in way of uh, having a conference or anything like that? Have you heard anything? I I'm I haven't looked it up yet, so maybe you know. I maybe haven't, I haven't seen anything scheduled yet. I, I think they are going to do something, but I okay. I, I don't know more than that. Okay, well, uh, we'll we'll try to keep our listeners updated because we we do highly recommend the Trinity Foundation and all their material. They are an excellent, excellent resource. They're a polemic resource. Uh, a lot of the stuff that they that comes out of the Trinity Foundation is uh, polemical, which ruffles a lot of feathers. So when you when you hear people speak negatively of the the Trinity Foundation, a lot of times it's it's precisely because John Robbins was uh, was very polemical. He he stood uh, firm on the Word of God and. Uh, he contended earnestly for the faith, and uh, so uh, I know Carlos and I um, have just benefited tremendously from the Trinity Foundation. They're the ones who introduced us to Gordon Clark, 
and uh, and so we we definitely recommend them. So Tim, let's get into today's topic. Last week we talked about uh, Mother Mary, and we're we're continuing our discussion in into this topic about Mother Mary. And uh, oh, you, you know what, Tim? So. I was talking with one of my aunts who's a Roman Catholic, uh, because if you remember a while back when I tried to answer the question as to whether or not Roman Catholics are saved, and I, I answered it in the negative, um, I, I created a, kind of a controversy in my own family, and one of my aunts is actually wanting me to send her uh, all the stuff that we do on Mary, because she wants to hear about where where we're coming from and, and our arguments for that. So I'm really looking forward to today's episode in addition to last week's episode. Last week we went over uh, just uh, the the basic history of Mary. We referenced a bunch of scriptures. And uh, and then we, we talked about Mary as queen mother, and we talked about Mary as Theotokos. And today what, what you were talking about before we went on uh, was – talking about Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. So, as always, uh, Brother Tim is the expert in this. Tim Kaufman is the expert in this. And I'm just going to basically take the role of student right now, allow him to to lead us in our discussion. So, Tim, with that, uh, you want to take it away? Well, sure, sure. I'll, I'll take it wherever I can. Um I hope it's to the right place, but I certainly hope that your aunt enjoys this episode. So uh, uh, we want we want her to hear the truth, and so we're going to just simply tell her and tell all of our listeners why we don't think anyone should fall for the arguments that Roman Catholics make about Mary. And last episode, as you mentioned, we talked about Mary as Queen Mother and Mary as Theotokos. And so I won't revisit any of that, but we do encourage people if they're just picking up on this podcast to listen to the first one because this is part two. And part two is going to be about Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. And the reason that we want to talk about Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant is because all the remaining Marian dogmas that is about her sinlessness, her assumption, her perpetual virginity. Uh, all those other uh, doctrines flow from her identification as the Ark of the New Covenant. And a lot of listeners, uh, particularly uh, Protestants, would probably be surprised to find that uh, Roman Catholics believe that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant and that the Ark of the Old Covenant uh, prefigured her. But that is that is the argument they make. And um, uh, the, I'll, I'll just start by saying that um, there's, there's not a verse in the Old Testament that can't be made somehow to prefigure Mary. And if you read about how the, the early church, and that is from, and I mean, uh, really the, the late antique church, so we're talking about late, fourth century, and we're getting into the medieval church in the fifth century, sixth century. But there, there wasn't a verse in the Old Testament that couldn't somehow be made to prefigure Mary, because the, the cult of Mary just absolutely took off at the end of the fourth century. And suddenly, everything in the Old Testament prefigured her. Uh, she was the land of Havilah in Genesis 2.11. 
She is simultaneously Noah's Ark, the dove that he released, the olive branch that returned. Uh, she's uh, Aaron's rod blossoming from which the almonds of Jesus grew. She's Jesse's rod from which the branch of Jesus sprung. Um, the reason is the, the, the word for rod in Latin is virga, which of course must refer to the virgin. And um, she was uh, allegedly present when the spirit blew upon the seas at creation for the, the Latin word for sea is maria. Uh, which of course must refer to Mary, and she's the virgin soil from which Adam was made. She is the cloud that led the Hebrews out of Egypt. She is Gideon's fleece, the temple, the tabernacle, the ark, the golden urn containing the manna. Uh, when David danced, he danced for her. When Moses saw the burning bush, it, it prefigured her. She was at the same time the flame, the unconsumed wood of the bush. Uh, she's even prefigured in the rotting manna and Jesus prefigured by the worms that fed on it. I mean, that's that's how that's how crazy the cult of Mary got when people started just everything uh, new that had been prefigured in the old. And of course, the problem with seeing everything as a prefiguration of Mary is that if if everything prefigures her, then no verse in scripture has any other meaning than Mary. <laughs> And, and we miss what the scripture is actually saying if we're looking always and constantly for some sort of figure that's hidden in the text. And uh, I think that I would recommend that we stick with the figures that the scriptures explicitly describe and explain to us. And then uh, I think that we just lead ourselves down a dangerous path if we decide that every single verse refers to Mary. But the one that I want to focus on, the prefiguration that I want to focus on, is the ark. And um, the ark, uh, th there are several arguments that are made for Mary being prefigured by the ark of the Old Testament. And I want to just, I'll just cover four of them, although there, there are more, uh, and, and we could make this a really, really long episode if we cover them all. But uh, the first one is that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And that's in Luke one thirty-five, and and they believe that the term overshadowed is a reference to the Old Testament when the 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 the, the Lord, the glory of the Lord overshadowed the uh, the tabernacle. Uh, we'll talk about Mary's journey to visit Elizabeth in Luke one thirty-nine, and we'll get into some of the details there. We'll talk about the contents of the ark, that is the manna, the tablets of the law, and the rod of Aaron. And we'll finally talk about the uh, ark in Revelation chapter 11. And immediately following, there's a reference to the woman of Revelation 12. And the, the ark of Revelation 11 is in heaven, and then a woman appears in heaven as well. Uh, Roman Catholics see that as being uh, evidence that if, if the woman of Revelation 12 is Mary, then the ark of Revelation 11 is a reference to her because it goes straight from the ark in heaven to the woman in heaven. So... Um, so let's start with the Roman Catholic arguments from Scripture. And then when we're finished with that, I want to look at the Roman Catholic arguments from the patristics. And what we find is the earliest we can really find evidence for the patristics, the, the writers of the early church actually seeing Mary as uh, prefigured by the Ark of the Old Covenant. Uh, we don't see that until the late 4th century and beyond. So, I... um, so yeah yeah let, go let ahead. me uh so basically they're looking for i guess in the similar way in which there's types and shadows of 
the Messiah in the Old Testament? Is that a way to understand it? They're looking for types and shadows of Mary? Yes, yes, that's exactly the way to look at it. And that's okay. uh, they, and they invest a tremendous amount of apologetic uh, resource uh, resources on exactly that issue, always looking to see if they can find evidence that that some type or shadow in the Old Testament prefigured and, Mary. Yeah, and so you know how because uh, we we've talked about this before, and I don't want to get sidetracked, but uh, you know how a lot of people have this this uh, extreme Christ Christ centered interpretation of the scripture where they just it, every every passage becomes every metaphor everything becomes about Christ and uh, he's read into everything. So so they're imploring, I guess, a Mary centric uh, hermeneutic where everything then becomes about Mary. And and everything that that I, I mean, it just it, in a lot of ways it just seems blasphemous because uh, I was listening to the references um, about you, you know the 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 uh, the cloud that led the the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean that's that's a uh, that's not Mary. That's God. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not even a type or shadow. It's just uh, right. It's just the. So the, the manifestation of the presence of the Lord, you know, right. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that. I would say that, that yes, they would focus on a Mary-centric hermeneutic, and and we've talked before. I think we had a, a discussion a while back about uh, it was on our Keller, yeah, a couple episodes. It was, it was episode fifteen, yeah. Um, and, and we we don't have to get into that, but let me ask you this: so is it is it still that bad? I mean, are there still or so? I I know that the the, the stuff that we're covering now, uh, Mary as Theotokos, Mary as Queen Mother, uh, Mary as the new the Ark of the New Covenant, those are views that are still held by Roman Catholics. But are there still Roman Catholics out there who or who would argue for all the other stuff that you're that you're talking about? Or was that you said that that was sort of a cult following? I guess that would be something that happened. Uh, early on in the church when, when this stuff really took off. Um, oh, well, when I say the cult of Mary, uh, I'm using it in the formal sense of, uh, uh an order of, of following and, and, uh, and let's see, devotion to Mary. Uh, just like, you know, Roman Catholics would not have any problem referring to the cult of relics. As long as we understood that cult is just devotion, right? Uh, the cult of Mary is a devotion to Mary. So, uh, I, I would uh, um, I would say that yes, there are Roman Catholics who are still making these same arguments based mm. on the same references to the scriptures and the same references to the church fathers. And in fact, some of the crazy ones that I mentioned, like, uh, <laughs> like the, you know, when when they collected, uh, they weren't supposed to collect manna on the Lord's day and right. they did anyway. And so it rotted and then it got consumed by worms. And they, you know, they look at that and say, well, Mary is the rotting manna and then the worm is Jesus inside her. And, uh, th those are actually written by men who were declared to be saints uh, by, by later popes. Mm. And so, and they're still published as, uh, you know, here's a great book about the glories of Mary. And you have these saints who are basing their references on the church fathers and it's still being distributed to Roman Catholics today as it here's why we have this devotion to Mary and they'll say because of tradition. And that's why, you know, eventually Hank Hanegraaff is just going to have to capitulate and become Roman Catholic because the whole stuff, all that he, he's decided he wants to trace his religion back uh, only to the fifth or sixth century. And, 
he's going to have to find that there's something even before that, which is in the late fourth century. That's uh, Roman Catholicism. Right. And, uh, eventually, that's where he has to settle. If that's his, if that's his epistemology, then tradition will ultimately lead him to Roman Catholicism. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you that you took the time to answer that. The reason that I was asking that is because I often say, you know, that Catholics worship Mary or that Catholics uh, call her the the co-mediator or the co-redemptrix. And a lot of times you see this happen with uh, with Mormons and uh, as well. You point something out that the religion teaches and that they hold to, and then you'll have people defend it by saying, well, that's not what we believe. Well, that's not we don't believe that that's that's crazy and so i i'm i'm glad that you that you answered that because i i could hear just in my head i could hear a bunch of people saying well we don't believe that that mary is the 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 manna or that mary is the cloud or uh all of those references but um i think well uh, I, w I would say that there are roman catholics who believe that but i would right. say that uh the, the the, the prefig prefigurations and types aren't always mandated. Right. Uh, some yeah. of them, some of them are explicitly called out and in infallible proclamations by the popes, but they, you know, some of them just reveal this inner devotion that someone went so far that they just saw Mary and everything. And then they say, see, here's, here's a, a type of devotion that we should model and imitate. This is someone that was so right. devoted to Mary that they saw Mary in the rotting manna. Of course, it's not a doctrine that Mary is the rotting manna, but, People still saw her that way and, and right. saw that as a prefiguration. That's the kind of devotion we should have to Mary. I mean, to, to the degree that that people see, they, they see you should imitate the lives of the saints and the saints went overboard in their adoration of Mary. Right. Uh, and that, then, yes, they, they would proclaim and profess that, but it's not mandatory that Roman Catholics believe that Mary was prefigured by the rotting manna. <laughs> but I would say that it's symptomatic of a bigger problem, and that bigger problem is is the worship of Mary. Right. We'll cover that in a later episode. But you know, when it comes to the the matter of tradition and people saying, "Well, we don't believe that," I'll just I'll just summarize it for you. The uh, I have on many times, many occasions, spoken with Roman Catholics, and they're probably back few Roman Catholics, the folks that uh, get there late and then leave right after communion. They're not really doctrinaire Roman Catholics. And I'll say, you know, the problem I have with Roman Catholicism is that they believe that the Lord's Supper is actually sacrificed to God for our sins. And they'll say something like, oh, we don't believe that. And then I'll show them from their own catechism that they do. And then they say, well, so what's wrong with that? And, and it's interesting to hear them make that sudden change. And I like to respond simply by saying, well, well, you tell me, because a minute ago you thought it was offensive. And now you think it's okay. And the reason they now think it's okay is because their epistemology is tradition. They say, oh, well, if the church is teaching it, then it must be right, and therefore it's okay. Th right. There was no further analysis than that. There was simply an immediate offense at the suggestion that that's actually taught, and then utter capitulation upon the realization that the church actually teaches these things. And it's because their epistemology is not scriptural, but traditional. So they're Right. And, it's, and that's why I say, hey, canograph ultimately must become Roman Catholic, because you'll find out that the rejection of Roman Catholicism by the East, while it was based at something in some things that took place in the latter part of the fourth century, didn't come to fruition until the 10th or 11th. Mm. And and they'll and, and, and eventually you'll find that there was something before uh, the Eastern Orthodox schism from Roman Catholicism. And I think that he'll end up Roman Catholic someday. 
So, but that, that's that's just the way people go. I mean, Taylor Marshall went from a Presbyterian to uh, to Anglican to Roman Catholic, and I've heard of other folks going from to Anglican to Orthodox to Roman Catholic. It's just a waypoint. It's a stopping point on the ultimate road to Rome. So, but um, but so, so uh, you ready to talk about the Ark then? So, um, sorry, I, I, I muted my mic. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's okay. uh, let's do it. Yeah. Um, okay, and and thanks for taking the time to answer those sidetrack questions. So, what we'll do is, to... okay, so so what we'll do is we'll just walk through some arguments that Roman Catholics make from the scriptures, and we'll address them uh, from the scriptures, and just see where that leads us. And as uh, you know, whatever needs to carry over to the next episode, we'll just let that carry over to the next episode. So, the first one is that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit in Luke. 135 just like the ark was overshadowed in the old testament and so the citation from the old testament is that um, after moses had completed building the tabernacle according to the specifications that the lord had given him it says then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the lord filled the tabernacle so the the problem here in exodus 434 actually the problem isn't with exodus 434 the problem is with the roman catholic argument in that, that it doesn't explicitly state that the lord overshadowed the ark he overshadowed the tent and the tent was full of all sorts of things and this will be very interesting when we get to the patristic arguments later because some of the uh, early church fathers would say that uh, mary was prefigured by the tabernacle because it contained the ark and jesus was the ark okay so so it's the the traditional are absolutely all over the map and so roman catholic ultimately has to set aside all adherence to logic and consistency and just decide you know, i believe that this was a reference to mary and therefore it's a reference to mary but the, the exodus 434 was not even about the cloud overshadowing the ark and yes it's true that the holy spirit overshadowed mary to bring about the incarnation but the fact that the Lord overshadowed the tent in Exodus 4.34 isn't necessarily a prefiguration of him overshadowing Mary. And especially since the uh, it doesn't say in Exodus 4.34 that he overshadowed the ark. So uh, I, I think it's a stretch, and but it's one that Roman Catholics use to show that Mary was the ark. Now, the next one is a little bit more complicated, and uh, this one is from... This is Mary's journey to visit Elizabeth. And the argument is made that uh, David had gone to the hill country of, Ju of Judah to retrieve the ark. And if you remember the story from 2 Samuel, it stayed at the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the reason was because Uzzah had touched the ark to steady it because it was being carried on an ox cart and Uzzah was struck dead. And, and, and David was very nervous about taking the ark any further and said, how should the ark of the Lord come to me? And so it stayed at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. So Roman Catholics say, wow, David, uh, the ark of the Lord went to uh, the hill country of Judah and stayed there for three months. And guess what? Uh, after Mary found out that Elizabeth was pregnant, she went to go visit her in the hill country of Judah for about three months. That's in Luke 156. So 
so there's the that's the first typology is that while the ark stayed in the hill country of judah for three months and mary went to visit elizabeth for about three months and i'll just first say that three months and about three months are not the same thing so you know if, if the spirit was trying to really show us something not only would mary be explicitly called the ark of the new covenant but uh three months would be a prefiguration of three months but that's but in 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 2 Samuel 6, it stays in the hill country of Judah for three months. And Mary stays in the hill country of Judah to visit Elizabeth for about three months. Now, the, the reason that I want to just make an argument from absurdity for just a second, just to show how ridiculous the arguments are that, oh, this must prove that Mary is the ark. Because the ark, of the, uh, the ark was also in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. And it stayed at Kirjath-Jerim for 20 years. That's 1 Samuel 7, 2. And, and if we want to take the same approach to the ark that the Roman Catholics are doing, we should say, well, what does this signify? What does the seven months mean? What does the 20 years mean? Um, well, let's see. Uh, it says in Luke 1, 24, that when Elizabeth found out she was pregnant, she, stayed, she hid herself for five months. And then in the sixth month uh, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary found out about Elizabeth's pregnancy. And she had to travel about 100 miles to go visit her cousin. And so that would get her there in about the seventh month. And so therefore, maybe Elizabeth is the Ark of the Covenant. Because it was seven months that she hid herself for five months. And it wasn't until seven months were continue, complete before she, uh, that Mary actually got to her. Uh, and also Levitical priests, they don't actually begin their work in the sanctuary until they're 20 years old. That's what it says in First Chronicles 23-24, 2 Chronicles 31-17. So, uh, wow, maybe maybe the 20 years that the Ark was in uh, uh, Kyrgyz-Jerim prefigured the 20 years that John the Baptist had to wait before he became a priest. Because you don't become a priest until you're 20 years old. And that would make John the Baptist the Ark. Or maybe it would make uh, Elizabeth the Ark and John the Baptist is a priest that's inside her. And because the Aaron, the, the the rod of Aaron signifies the Aaronic priesthood, and John the Baptist was an Aaronic priest, therefore Elizabeth must be the Ark of the New Covenant. Well, th that's an absolutely silly argument. It's it's a ridiculous argument, and I want to put it in the same category as the argument Roman Catholics make that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, based on this scripture passage. But but it gets better. It's uh you know when when David when David. I would say, I don't say the argument gets better. It gets sillier and, and therefore better because it's more interesting to us. But um, when David realized that Uzzah had been struck dead for touching the ark, he said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? That's 2 Samuel 6, 9. And when Mary arrived to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's Luke 143. So Roman Catholics look at that and say, wow, David said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And Elizabeth says, how shall the mother of my Lord come to me? And therefore marries the ark. See, that's a, <laughs> but the problem is that David was refusing the ark and Elizabeth was welcoming Mary. And I'll just say that David's refusal for the ark to come to him is not a prefiguration or foreshadowing of Elizabeth welcoming Mary. And what's important here is that they would tie that to John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb when Mary arrived. <laughs> but 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 you see how they, they're stretching everything they can find to make it turn into a prefiguration of Mary. And the next way they do that is to examine the contents of the ark. 
But before I go on with that, do you understand the, the, the problems with Mary's visit to Elizabeth somehow being fulfilled, uh, somehow uh, being the fulfillment of, of the ark moving around Israel, the land of the Philistines? Oh yeah, it's uh, they—they're like conspiracy theorists reaching for straws or grabbing grabbing at straws to to make this work. And I think you you pointed out that uh, <laughs> uh, I, I like how you re, uh, you reduced it to absurdity because there's no way that this could work, <laughs> and and yeah. it shouldn't be accepted at all. <laughs> The only way you can get to these passages and conclude that Mary's the ark is if you already believe she was the ark. And that means that there's no reason to appeal to the scriptures at all because you already know that she's the ark, right? But like I said, you know, we could make John the ark if we wanted to. We right. could make Elizabeth the ark if we wanted to. Based and on and it almost sounded day. like, yeah, it almost sounded like John might actually fit better as the ark, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, so now the next argument that's made is based on the contents of the Ark itself. So Roman Catholics note that the Ark of the Covenant contained the tablets of the law. That's in Deuteronomy 31, verses 19 to 27. Uh, it contained the manna, which is the bread from heaven. That's Exodus 16, 12 to 34. And it contains the rod of Aaron blossoming. And that's number 17, 10. And all of these are alleged by Roman Catholics to signify Christ. And since they were in the Ark and in Mary, Mary must be the ark, because if Jesus is the rod of Aaron blossoming and the bread from heaven and the incarnation of the law and the word of God, then all those three things were inside Mary, and therefore Mary must be the ark. Well, the problem is they don't all signify Christ. I will grant that the manna does, because Christ says so in John 6, 32. He identifies himself as the bread from heaven. The law certainly signifies Christ, because Jesus came as the incarnation of the of God, the uh, the Logos. And that's in John 1.14. The problem is that the rod of Aaron signifies a genetic lineage. That's number 17 and 18. And that genetic lineage explicitly excludes Christ in its signification. The reason this matters is that if you remember, there were some people that were upset that the that Aaron and his sons got to minister as priests. So they argued with Moses, and the way it was settled that each tribe brought forth a staff, and the staff that was brought forth that blossomed would indicate which tribe uh, or which family the Lord had selected for uh, ministering before him. And Aaron's rod blossomed. And, this, the, and, and when it blossomed, it was shown, and it says this explicitly in Numbers 17 and 18, that only Aaron and his sons can minister before him. Okay, so the rod of Aaron signifies a genetic lineage that is fulfilled in genetic descendants of Aaron. But when we get to the New Testament, we're told explicitly that Jesus is not from that tribe. And this is from Hebrews 7, verses 11 to 13. It says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. So, so here, here we have a, a verse in Scripture explicitly stating that Jesus is not of the line of Aaron. 
And we have passages of Scripture, number 17 and 18, that show that the rod of Aaron explicitly signifies a genetic lineage of which Jesus has no part. And that shows that there's, there, there's one place, because Mary is the sole source of Jesus' genetic lineage, his genetic tie to David, the only, there's only one place in the world where the rod of Aaron should never be. And that should be, that's inside Mary. Mary could not have been of the line of Aaron. Otherwise, this whole thing falls apart. <laughs> the, whole, the, the, the whole point of Hebrews, 11, uh, Hebrews 7 verses 11, 13 falls apart. The, the whole point of the, the rod blossoming falls apart. The, the, the rod blossoming is not a prefiguration of Christ. Now, there is a shoot that sprouts from the stump of Jesse, and that's fulfilled in Christ, but that's not the rod of Aaron. Uh, and when we get to the New Testament, we say that Jesus is not of the Levitical, Levitical line, and therefore he's not rod of Aaron, because the rod of Aaron was intended to signify a genetic lineage, and Jesus has absolutely no part in that. So but there's a much better explanation. I want to just uh, provide this to our listeners to take a look at. What's very interesting is that when there was a rebellion uh, and there, people were uh, offering uh, they were using censers to make offering to the Lord, and and the Lord punished them and took the 250 censers and hammered them into plates as a covering for the altar, and it was it was created as a memorial to the children of Israel against their murmurings. That's Numbers 16 verses 38 to 40. The tables of the law were laid up in the ark for a witness against thee, to testify against thy rebellion and thy stiff neck, and that's that's taken from Deuteronomy 31 verses 19 to 27. The golden urn of manna was placed in the ark after God heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. That's Exodus 16, 12 to 34. The rod of Aaron blossoming was placed in the ark to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from thee. Uh, Numbers 17, 10. So what do you notice is a pattern here? When the basically the contents of the ark become a record of the sins of God's people against him. When they're complaining against him, when when they complain against him, they get a they get another piece of something goes in the ark as a memorial against their sin, their wickedness, their murmurings, and their rebellion. And so, what happens later in Jeremiah three sixteen to seventeen is that here the ark eventually becomes decreases in significance so much that people don't even talk about it anymore because it's really the contents become a record of our offenses. And so the fact that the ark is removed is, you, you could take that as a sign that, you know, Jesus removed all of our sins. God took away the thing that offended him about us so that there would be peace between us and God. And what's very interesting in Jeremiah three sixteen to 17 is he said, I'm going to send you pastors after my own heart. And they're not going to talk about the ark anymore. <laughs> it's very interesting. He says, um, and this is again, Jeremiah 3, 16 and 17. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord. They shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither, uh, uh, let's see. Neither shall that be done anymore. At that time, they shall be. They shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered into it to name 
to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk anymore after the imagination of their evil heart. So here the Lord is identifying the ark with the evil imagination of God's people. And he's saying that, you know, there's going to come a time when I send you pastors that don't talk about it anymore. doesn't even come to mind. They don't visit it. They don't even remember it. And he's actually talking about a time when the ark is forgotten as being a very positive time when things are better. And yet you compare this with what you find in Roman Catholicism. When they proclaimed the doctrine of Mary's sinlessness, they appealed to the ark. When they proclaimed Mary's uh, assumption bodily, body and soul into heaven, they appealed to the, uh, the imagery of the ark. When they talk about devotion to Mary and David leaping before the ark and John the Baptist leaping before the ark and all these different things about the ark of Mary, guess what? They, they're basically they're not feeding the flock with knowledge and understanding. They're feeding them with superstition and and conjecture and, and, and in fact contradiction. And this is not what the Lord had in mind when he says to Jeremiah, there's going to come a time when I send pastors according to my own heart. The, 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 the priests and bishops and cardinals and popes who are talking about Mary as the ark and how important it is to honor her as the ark of the new covenant are not consistent with Jeremiah 3, 16 and 17, which says that the, the pastors that God sends to us will not be so obsessed with the ark and, and that they would actually withhold knowledge and understanding from the people. And I would say that the devotion of the ark has done exactly that. It's withheld knowledge and understanding. You can see from the different arguments that are made by Roman Catholics that they're just absolutely caught up in it. And there's, there's just nothing in the Old Testament that can't be stretched to turn it into a prefiguration of Mary and the ark. So um, the, the last one I wanted to uh, go to is Revelation 11, 19 to 12, 1. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, that Mary, uh, see, the ark is shown in heaven in Revelation eleven nineteen, and then the next verse, uh, Revelation twelve one, there's a reference to a woman appearing in the heavens. And again, that's taken as the close connection between the ark and the woman in the heavens is indication. Well, if Mary is the woman, then John had actually seen Mary and called her the ark, and then he described the woman, which is Mary. Uh, the problem here is that Roman Catholics, and we'll get into this when we talk about Mary's sinlessness, but Roman Catholics deny that Mary had labor pains when she delivered Christ. And the woman of Revelation 12 is delivering the Christ child, and she's in labor, and she's in great pain from labor. And so they they have their interesting arguments about that, but again, the, the imagery falls apart because if Roman Catholics are right that because Mary's the Ark, therefore she's sinless, and therefore she didn't have labor pains when she delivered Christ, then why is the woman of Revelation twelve in labor delivering Christ? You know, it, the, the whole thing it just it falls apart there because they're just stretching so hard to find any any figuration at all in the Old Testament or New Testament to show that Mary is the ark. And what you, I often find, although they don't do this all the time, but I often find when Roman Catholics are reading this passage and they want to assign it to Mary, they'll stop reading just before it says that she was laboring in pain uh, in childbirth because it just doesn't fit with their uh, 
it just doesn't fit with their epistemology. She, she's not supposed to be in labor, and therefore it's just a, a conundrum, a paradox, you could say, in Revelation 12.1. It identifies this woman, and in Revelation 12.2, she's having labor pains. But So that, that covers, I would say that um, although there are a lot more arguments that could be made about Mary being in the ark, those, those are the main ones that Roman Catholics teach. Uh, and they all, there's nothing consistent about them and they're all stretches. And you have to have concluded already that Mary was the ark in order to get this out of scriptures. And the problem is that nobody thought of this until after the fourth century. And that shows that this identification of Mary as the ark is not apostolic. It's a late breaking tradition. Well, yeah, and... That, that's really interesting. I know that we've talked a little bit about the uh, that rev, that passage in Revelation because that's come up in discussions with my family. But I don't know. I think I think if we talk about that right now, it's probably going to lead us down a rabbit trail, and that has a lot to do with uh, with the apparitions of Mother Mary. And uh, so maybe I'll just ask you that for for another another time. Um, but let's just let's just go ahead and continue with what with what you're talking about right now. Okay, so we're um, we're continuing now with our discussion on the Ark, but we're going to switch to the Roman Catholic attempts to find Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant in the early church. So uh, I think my favorite uh, occurrence of this is when Scott Hahn, who's a former Presbyterian, was attempting to show that Mary was the Ark and that the church has always believed and taught this. And this was from uh, his, uh, he had a, a, a sermon or a, a speech on a closer look at Christ's church, Mary, Ark of the Covenant. And he, this section was called Answering Common Objections. So he was talking about how Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, and an audience member um, I doubt. I don't doubt that the audience member was a devout Roman Catholic, but this particular person asked a very penetrating question. And the question was this, where do we find specific examples of Mary as the Ark of the Covenant in the early church? So Han responded by, um, he had picked up a book that he really liked, and we'll get to that in just a second, but he responded and said, um, well, the, the Ark of Imperishable Wood containing the manna is a phrase that is taken from an ancient liturgy for the Feast of the Assumption. This application of the Ark of the Covenant to the Blessed Virgin is very ancient. We find that already at the beginning of the 3rd century in the writings of Hippolytus of Rome. So let, let me first say that the ancient liturgy for the Feast of the Assumption can date no earlier than the 5th century because the, the Assumption wasn't even entertained before then. But the problem is that Hippolytus, and, and Han has him at the correct time frame in the third century, but Hippolytus has some very explicit language about Jesus being the Ark, not Mary. Um, when we talk about the uh, Ark of Imperishable Wood, so here we have uh, Hippolytus from uh, fragments on the Psalms, uh, his oration on the Lord of my, as my shepherd. He says, moreover, the Ark made of imperishable wood was the Savior himself. For this, for by this was signified the imperishable and incorruptible tabernacle of the Lord Himself, which is, which gendered no corruption of sin. 
For the sinner indeed makes this confession, My wounds stank and were corrupt because of my foolishness. But the Lord was without sin, made of imperishable wood as regards his humanity, that is, of the Virgin and the Holy Ghost inwardly and outwardly of the Word of God, like an ark overlaid with purest gold. So here he says um, that the ark was the Savior himself. And then again in uh, fragments on the visions of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 6, he says in the and that the Savior appeared in the world bearing the imperishable ark, his own body. So twice we have Hippolytus saying that the ark of imperishable wood is Jesus, Jesus' body. He's bearing the ark. That's very interesting because what he doesn't say is that, you know, Mary, uh, here we have him saying, well, Jesus was sinless and therefore he's the ark of imperishable wood. That's the argument Roman Catholics make after the fourth century that Mary was sinless and therefore she must be the ark of imperishable wood. But the truth is that Scott Hahn got that wrong when he said, oh, yeah, 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 of course, why why we have the ancient liturgy of the Feast of the Assumption, which uh, didn't exist before the uh, 5th century. And then we have Hippolytus, and then he actually gets Hippolytus wrong because Hippolytus said that Jesus and Jesus' body was the ark. But Hahn went on with another example for the 5th century. He said, we find it, that is the idea of Mary as the ark, in Antioch by the 5th century in the writing of the patriarch Severus, who fits it into its entire context. He sees the Blessed Virgin signified by the Holy of Holies precisely because she contains the Ark of the Covenant made of incorruptible wood. Well, that's that's uh, that's a bit of a stretch, and I could see that Scott Hahn was in a tight spot here. He kind of had to make it up as he goes along because if the Patriarch Severus fits it into his context and he sees Mary as the Holy of Holies because she contains the Ark, that makes Jesus the ark, not Mary. And so Han is basically trying to make this point that, well, yeah, eventually we got around to it and we built up to it by men like Hippolytus saying that Jesus was the ark and Severus saying that Mary is the Holy of Holies because she contains the ark. Well, it, you know, honestly, it's a bunch of nonsense. And Scott Han knows better than this. It's just that you never get to this unless you already wanted to believe it to begin with. And when Scott Hahn decided he needed to become Roman Catholic, he decided he had to buy into everything that Rome was selling. And Rome sells this, Hahn bought it, and now he has to defend it. It's not an enviable position to be in. So uh, I want to bring up another um, Roman Catholic apologist, Steve Ray. And he's he claims the same thing. He says, uh, Mary as the Ark was taught and celebrated early in Christian history. Now, and I want to I want to point this out. Notice what Han and Ray are both doing here. They're saying, "Listen, you gotta trust us on this." Uh, it's it's been two thousand years now since Jesus was on the earth, and he established a church. The church currently teaches this stuff, and therefore it must be apostolic because the church can't teach things that aren't apostolic. And you're just gonna have to take it from us that this goes all the way back early in Christian history. So. And people can look this up. I encourage them to uh, look up Ark of the New Covenant, quotes from the fathers. Uh, it's something, that, it's just a, a word document that Steve Ray has put out there with all these different quotes showing that the from the earliest time of Christian history, um, they believe that Mary was the Ark. The problem is that he has cited no reliable references prior to the latter part of the fourth century. And what's more, and this is what gets really interesting, I, I want to just give people a taste of what the early church really thought the ark signified. So uh, let's look at Irenaeus. He died in 202 AD, so two centuries after Christ. And uh, 
actually uh, just just a couple hundred years after Christ, and uh, he says the uh, the ark was gilded within and without with pure gold. So was also the body of Christ, pure and resplendent, in order that from both materials the splendor of the natures might be clearly shown forth. That's Irenaeus, his eighth fragment. Um, Tertullian, he lived from 155 to 240 AD, and he believed that the ark signified Christ's body or his people. He says the ark beneath a type points us to Christ's venerable, uh, venerable body joined through wood with sacred spirit. That's his, uh, his, uh, his, it's from Tertullian of Martian's Antithesis, chapters 209 to 210. Elsewhere, Tertullian mentions that the Ark of the Testament, along with the tabernacle, altar, and candlestick, were figures of us, for we are temples of God and altars and lights and sacred vessels. That's from Tertullian, De Corona, chapter 9. So uh, we've already covered Hippolytus of Rome. He was from uh, 170 to 235 AD. And I mentioned that uh, he said that the Ark signified Christ's body. Victorinus from 270 to 310 AD, he believed that the Ark signified Christ's ministry. It, he says, and there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Lord's Testament, the preaching of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and all the gifts, whatever that came with him, he says, appeared therein. Now, that's actually Victorinus commenting on the 11th chapter of Revelation. And he doesn't see the ark there in chapter 11 as being a prefiguration of Mary, but of Christ's ministry, the preaching of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, and all the gifts, whatever that came with him. Uh, Gregory Nazianzen, 329 to 390 AD, he believed that the ark signified Christ. This is from Gregory Nazianzen, Oration 38 on the Theophany, paragraph 17. Now then, I pray you accept his conception and leap before him, if not like John from the womb, yet like David because of the resting of the ark. He thought that we should leap before the Lord as David left before the ark and as John leapt in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't say that Mary is the ark there. Uh, Ambrose from 340 to 397 AD, he thought that the ark signified Christ. It says, but the dancing is commended, which David practiced before the ark of God, for everything is seemly, which is done for religion, so that we need be ashamed of no service which tends to the worship and honoring of Christ. That's Ambrose on Repentance, Book 2, Chapter 42. John Chrysostom, 349 to 407 AD, thought the ark signified Christ. This temple is holier than that, for it glistened not with gold and silver, but with the grace of the Spirit, and in place of the ark and the cherubim, it had Christ and his father and the paraclete seated within. That's Chrysostom, two exhortations to Theodore after his fall. Letter one, paragraph one. And he sees the ark as a signification of Christ. Jerome, 347 to 420 AD. He saw the ark to signify the church, a consecrated virgin or the bishop or Christ's tomb. These are... Uh, I'll just give the references here, and it's letter 22 to Eustochium, paragraphs 23 to 24. Uh, letter 147 to Sabinianus, paragraph 10. Uh, letter 46 to Paula and Eustochium. Oh, I'm sorry, Paula and Eustochium to Marcella, paragraph 5. And then uh, each one of these, he, he, he talks about what the ark signifies. And... and I'll just, just for example, he said, assuredly, no gold or civil silver vessel was ever so dear to God as the temple of a virgin's body. Like the ark 
of the covenant, Christ's spouse should be overlaid with gold and without. She should be the guardian of the law of the Lord, just as the ark contained nothing but the tables of the covenant. So in you, there should be no thought of anything that is outside. He's basically telling people that, hey, you should be the ark of the covenant, just like it was pure and holy. And then uh, he says, if, if the Levite Uzzah was smitten merely because he tried to hold up from falling the ark, which it was his special province to carry, what punishment think you will be inflicted upon you who have tried to overthrow the Lord's ark when standing firm? The more estimable the bishop is who ordained you, the more detestable are you who have disappointed the expectations of so good a man. So the, the bishop is the prefiguration of the ark here, and the uh, Sabinianus Sabinia, was uh, wrong to, to touch him or, or upset him. So uh, we'll go on to John Cassian from 360 to 435 AD. He believed that the ark signified the Christian. Um, he says, uh, next, you must by all means strive to get rid of all anxiety and worldly thoughts and give yourself over assiduously or rather continuously to sacred reading until continual meditation fills your heart and fashions you, so to speak, after its own likeness, making of it, in a way, an ark of the testimony, which has within it two tables of stone, i.e. the constant assurance of the two testaments, etc. So he goes on, basically describing you as a Christian should have within you all the contents of the ark. Uh, Theodoret of Cyrus, um, this is 393 to 458 AD, he believed that the ark signified the Lord's body. And, and he's actually quoting Hippolytus to prove it. He says, the testimony of the holy Hippolytus, bishop and martyr from his discourse on the Lord is my shepherd. The, an ark of incorruptible, incorruptible wood was the savior himself. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria thought uh, that the ark signified Christ. This is 412 to 444 AD. The ark then, Pilus, I feel, is the image and symbol of Christ. That's from Cyril of Alexandria uh, on the adoration in the spirit and truth. Book nine, and then uh, he says, Emmanuel, God with us, is presented in figure and image when scripture says, and you will place the ark of the testimony in the tabernacle. That's uh, on John the Evangelist, book four. Uh, Gregory the Great, 540 to 604 AD. He thought that the, that the ark was the teaching ministry of Christ. He says, gentleness mingled with severity is well signified by that ark of the tabernacle in which together with the tables there is a rod and manna. Because if with knowledge of sacred scripture in the good ruler's breast there is the rod of constraint, there should also be the manna of sweetness. So he thought that that was the teaching ministry of Christ, should actually cause the ruler to be a good ruler. So uh, he says, but what, uh, what but the holy church is figured by the ark? And that's uh, Gregory the Great, Pastoral Rule, Book 2, Chapter 11. Uh, the previous one was Book 2, Chapter 6. Uh, uh, for what is the priestly heart but the Ark of the Covenant? And since spiritual doctrine retains its vigor therein, without doubt the tables of law are lying in it. That's Gregory the Great, Register of Letters, Book 8, Letter 30. So what do we have here? We've gone all the way through to the beginning of the 7th century, and we still have people like Gregory the Great, a pope, telling us, you know, the ark signifies the teaching ministry of Christ. We have Cyril of Alexandria, Theodoret of Cyrus, John Cassian. We have Jerome, John Chrysostom, Ambrose, Gregory Nazianzen, Victorinus, Hippolytus, and Tertullian and Irenaeus. And they all see the ark as Christ's body. 
the teaching ministry of Christ, his, his ministry, the, the pastor, the ruler, the, the consecrated virgin, the bishop, the Christ tomb, uh, the tomb of Christ. <laughs> I mean, these are all the ways that they thought that the ark signified something. And, and like we said, we don't want to say, we don't want to assign a meaning to it unless the scripture explicitly signs a meaning to it. So I'm not going to take any of their positions and say, well, it definitely signified Christ or his teaching ministry. The problem here is there's a very consistent thread that it isn't Mary. And yet Roman Catholics like Scott Hahn and Steve Ray say, oh, <clears throat> yes, yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely ancient teaching. <clears throat> and in fact, we can find evidence that's uh, it's practically apostolic. In, in that it goes back quite a ways, uh, very, very early on in the church, uh, that, that maybe maybe 5th or 6th century, we, we have some pretty good evidence that it's apostolic, that it's, yes, that it's that this goes all the way back. Yeah, but that's, that's how they have to reason, because they've already bought into the fact that Mary's the ark, and all that's left is trying to convince themselves and their hearers that it's apostolic. And they have to stretch it to the breaking point in order to find evidence. And where they do find evidence from people before the under, latter part of the fourth century, it's in documents that are disputed. Just like we talked about last week, Papyrus 470, its date is, is disputed. And so we don't have proof of Theotokos being used in the second and third century. We don't have a reliable evidence of Mary being considered the Ark of the New Covenant until latter part of the fourth century and later. And it's just one more piece of evidence that the doctrines that Roman Catholics are trying to say are apostolic are in fact novelties of the latter part of the fourth century and beyond, and the Christian is under no obligation to accept this. Like I said last week, the Christian does not have to take the Marian doctrines lying down. There are arguments against them. The arguments that Roman Catholics make for them are just, uh, at, at, at their worst, they're absolutely ridiculous and offensive, and at their best, they're just grasping at scriptural references and trying to turn them into prefigurations of Mary. But the, the, the problem, as you can see, is that where we have documents that are known to be from these writers they say that jesus is the ark his teaching ministry is the ark the church is the ark the people are the ark the consecrated virgin is the ark and but at this point we're talking about uh, jerome saying the consecrated virgin is the ark and he wasn't referring to mary and the uh th that is uh, someone who has consecrated themselves to to be a virgin and not get married he says that's the kind of person that is prefigured by the ark. And, and and you don't really get this identification of Mary as being the ark until the latter part of the fourth century and beyond. And and that's the problem with so many doctrines that we find with Roman Catholicism. They'll, they'll say, oh, these are apostolic. These are what the early church taught. We really got to go with that. You know, Protestants need to repent of their novelty and come back to the early church. That's the argument Hank Hanegraaff fell for. And it's because Hank Hanegraaff wanted to believe this. He wanted to believe the traditions. He wanted to believe the nonsense. And so he finally comes up with that saying that he had on his, the, 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 the epiphany he had that, wow, truth matters, but life matters more. Well, life has to be defined, defined by truth. Mm. And you can't say that you know, if someone believes something false, but at least they're alive, I'll go with that. Uh, that's, that's basically to set aside God's revelation to us in the scriptures and follow after man-made traditions. And this whole thing with Mary being the Ark is just a man-made tradition, and you just can't find it before the latter part of the fourth century. And some would even say you can't find it really before the fifth century. And the same thing goes with the Assumption Doctrine, which we'll cover in our next episode. Wow, that, man, that's good. 
That is really good. I wish, uh, you know, Hank Hanegraaff would take a closer look at these things. Unfortunately, I think that he's done what you said, uh, you know, Scott Hahn did and uh, Steve Ray, that he's already committed himself to a position that now he's um, he, he's probably not going to take a clo closer look at these things. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful that, that you're, that you're willing to come onto our show and, and lay this all out. Um, I, I, I honestly don't see how a Roman Catholic could argue their way out of this unless they, they just have a, a total commitment to what the, the Roman Catholic church is currently teaching. Uh, and, and as, as you pointed out, they can't get past the fourth century um, in, in referencing uh, what the early church fathers believed. And it's, I think it's really significant to, to point out to our listeners that what we believe is substantiated first by the scriptures, and we are believing what the early church fathers um, believed. And uh, so, I mean, we're in good company here. But uh, so that will that'll be it for today, uh, brother Tim. I, I want to say again, thank you for coming on and uh, and laying this out for our listeners. Oh, I'm I'm very happy to be here and glad to do it, and uh, look forward to our next episode. And uh, uh, it's just a privilege to be with you and a privilege to talk with our listeners. Well, so real quick, what 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 can we look forward to in our ne next episode? Because you said that um, that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant, that that has a lot to do with building all these other views about Mary and her, her sinlessness. And, and uh, basically, I, I don't know if you'd say laying the foundation for what the, what the church holds with regards to the doctrines of Mary, but what can we expect uh, in the next episode uh, concerning Mary? Well, the, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the Ark is extremely important because it's by the Ark that the other doctrines are established. So when we talk about the sinlessness of Mary, they believe that Mary was sinless in the same way that Hippolytus was arguing that the Ark must prefigure Christ in his sinlessness. They take that rationale and say that, well, if it prefigured Mary instead of Christ, then Mary must be sinless. And then there are passages in the Old Testament that say, uh, Arise, O Lord, to thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. And so if that references Christ and his assumption into heaven, his ascension into heaven, then if Jesus is followed by the ark of his strength and the ark of his strength is Mary, then Mary must necessarily have been assumed into heaven as well. And if, uh, if Uzzah couldn't touch the ark and there were, there's a, a place in the scripture where thousands of men are killed for looking into the ark. These are all, they're, they're all prefigurations of Mary's virginity. And therefore, uh, Mary must be a perpetual virgin because uh, she's the ark. So the sinlessness, the perpetual virginity, the assumption of Mary, they all flow from Mary's identification of the ark. And, and, and that's why it's so important to start with the ark. A lot of times I talk with Protestants that aren't aware that Mary is seen as the fulfillment of the typology of the Ark. And, 
and that's why they don't understand how Roman Catholics can conclude that Mary is sinless, perpetual virgin, and was assumed body and soul into heaven. And yet, in the two infallible pronouncements that we have from the popes, the archetypology was invoked for both of them, uh, one for her sinlessness and one for the assumption. So that's what we'll cover in our next episode, the, um, the her sinlessness, uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary, and the assumption of Mary into heaven. Wow. I am... I am so looking forward to that. This is, uh, you're taking it to a whole nother level. <laughs> I, 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 because most Christians know how to defend against Roman Catholicism, you know, citing, um, you know, you know, was, was Mary sinless? Um, no, because, you know, in Romans it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you were, you were knocking it out of the park. You, I'm, I'm looking at your notes, and you're just, you're demolishing the Roman Catholic position, which, which I love because it's not, uh, it's not a position of truth, and our heart in, in, in doing this is not to bash anybody, it's to present people with truth and the hope that they'll come to Christ, and the hope that they will, that they will repent and and uh, be justified by faith alone in Christ alone uh, by grace alone and so that's that's our heart I know that that's uh, that's your heart Tim uh, I know that we both have family members that are Catholic I'm sure we have friends uh, I'm sure you have friends that are Catholic I, I know that I have a lot of friends that are Catholic but but that is that is definitely our, our desire in doing this and man I am just I am so excited about this because uh, you're you're really knocking it out of the park. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, my I know we both have the same heart on this. Is that I hear so many times of of, of guys that uh, that I've I've been in Bible studies with that eventually convert to Roman Catholicism and they fall for the arguments and they come back making arguments for the typologies that we discussed today, and 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 they're just blown away by it because it's so ancient. And it's like, uh, you know, I read an article in, uh, in a magazine once about how the church needs to get back to the early practices like incense and icons and that sort of thing. But you know what? The incense, there's no evidence of it being used in the church until after the fourth century. The icons were rejected all the way up to the latter part of the fourth century. So that all these claims that we need to get back to the early church are really claims that we really need to get back to the late fourth century, 300 years removed from the apostolic era. And that's where we're going to find the truth. Well, when you look at it that way, you realize hey, you're trying to get me to subscribe to a novelty. And that's why I said in our series on the sacrifice of the mass is that uh, I can't leave the apostolic religion to join you in your novelties. And therefore I reject all this nonsense about Mary as the ark. Mary as the queen of heaven. Mary as the mother of God, or the day genetrix and that sort of thing. So we'll pick up on that in our next episode. And uh, I appreciate our listeners hanging in for this long. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just real quick, I want to remind our listeners to also check out the uh, trackplanet.com. I know a lot of uh, churches are going to be doing vacation Bible school. Uh, so you can check out the, the tracks that the, that they're a new sponsor that are sponsoring the Bible thumping wingnut network. We couldn't do this without partnership. So uh, we'll just leave off with that and uh, wish everybody a, a blessed week and we will check you next time. Thanks. God bless. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? 
Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid, biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's T-R-A-C-T-Planet.com, coupon code BTWN. <laughs>